Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yo, welcome to What's the Hype Podcast. This is your boy, Jay Wade. And I'm Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. And this is What's the Hype. What's the Hype? It's helping young people excel. And it's also cutting through all of the hype, the glitz, the glamour that surrounds the sports industry and give tangible insight from our experience and our guests to help you get a better understanding of the business and all that comes with the sports industry. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life, look. All my life, been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice. Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. I'm your host, Janero Wade. And I'm Jeff Pope, a.k.a. The Pod Disciple. And we got a very special guest in the building, Mr. Brian Carrington. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. What's going on, fellas, man? We appreciate you having me on. No problem. Thanks for joining us, man. Brian Carrington, Director of Recruiting up at the University of Texas. Um, we're just going to take some time to kind of get into your story. Um, so we'll go ahead and start, man. Let's just start from the beginning, man. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, family structure, kind of what it was like growing up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm from the northwest area of Houston, Texas, Texas. Uh, <clears throat> my upbringing is from a single-parent household. Um Growing up, I really didn't have much, you know, um, my mom owned her own beauty shop and whatnot, and um, so coming up, I really, um, coming up, uh, I would say my mom was what made my childhood unique. Uh, like I said, I come from an impoverished area of Houston, and I didn't have much, so from an early age, my mom actually sent me to school. Uh, outside of my neighborhood. She actually sent me to school across the town into uh, a really wealthy, uh, upper-class uh, demographic. And I went to uh, River Oaks Elementary School uh, in the River Oaks area of Houston. And from an early age, uh, the seed was planted into me that there was more than just Acres Home. There was more than just the surrounding community that I was raised in, that this world was huge. Uh, so from an early age, I learned how to thrive outside of my environment. And I credit that to my mother uh, now. But when I was young, I didn't understand it. You know, I wanted to go to school with my friends that I played basketball with next door. I walk down the street and play with them. But I never went to school with them uh, when I was getting the foundation of my education. Uh, when I got to middle school, you know, mom said, you know what, I'll put you in the school with your friends and whatnot. As soon as I got into that school, I started getting in trouble. And so I started getting a lot of trouble following the wrong crowd. And, you know, I got a lot of discipline from my mom for, for it. And I was like, you know, when I was in elementary school, I didn't go through all these problems and whatnot. I actually had a really nice experience. So uh, I, read a, I wrote a letter to St. Pius the 10th High School on the northwest side of Easton. And essentially wanted to get out of that environment and I wanted to be surrounded with an environment that was outside of my comfort zone because that drove me. Uh, I remember being interested about being educated when I was outside of my surrounding. When I was within my surrounding, I succumbed to all of the uh, distractions, whether it's girls 
class clown, you name it, you know, but um, I really kind of found my identity when I got outside of the norm. Uh, and I kind of, at a young age, felt that I liked being in that environment because if I can thrive in that environment, I'm going to grow up and become very successful. Uh, you know, I remember having the lights cut off. I remember having the phone cut off. I remember eating ramen noodles, not having much. And so at an early age, I wanted to, to break that cycle in my, in my family. I wanted to uh, be financially free. In a, in a sense. So I felt that getting outside of my environment, going to college, you know, having a career, those were goals that I set for myself at an early age. I mean, even to the point to where when I was in middle school, I, I told my mom, you know, make sure I get a college degree. Make sure I get a college degree. Uh, and then you can fast forward through uh, me going to St. Pius. I eventually went on to the University of Houston. Uh, when I was in University of Houston, it was kind of being thrown back in that environment. That I, that I ran from in middle school or that I made the conscious decision that I needed to get out of in middle school. Uh, so when I was at the University of Houston, I was back in that environment again. You know, I was 20 minutes from home, but I didn't go home for the first three months of college. You know, I'm running with the wrong crowd. You know, uh, I'm not going to class because, you know, you're expected to, to be responsible uh, when, you, when you enroll in an institution. So I was, I was a little bit of knucklehead to the point to where I eventually was suspended from the university for, for my academics because I didn't necessarily give that that uh, that type of effort uh, to school. Uh, and then something tragic happened in my family. Uh, my grandmother had passed once I was out at the University of Houston. And when my grandmother passed, she was the patriarch of my family or the matriarch of my family. Uh, and when she passed, it kind of broke up my family, per, uh, per se, and all the way through through my upbringing, I wanted to live up uh, to the standards that my grandmother uh, had. And my grandmother was Eula Shepherd, and I mean, if you look up Acres Home on Wikipedia, it would say Eula Shepherd being the major of Acres Home, uh, but she was a, a city council member. Uh, she, at an early age, going to her banquets, going to uh, all the events that she attended and whatnot, it always, I was constantly reminded about that other side, you know, that other side of, of success or making a name for yourself and all of that. So when she died, it kind of was a realization that, hey, man, you know, I got to make something out of myself. I'm going to be just like everybody else. I'm going to be just like those people that are born in Acres Home and die in Acres Home and don't see nothing else but but Acres Home, you know, and, and that was something that haunted me at an early age, and I wanted to break the cycle. I wanted to get out of my neighborhood. And Winning at an early age was getting far from home. That, that, you know, to me, that was... Like, that, that's, that's, that's real deep, because, you know, anybody from Houston will know, like, Acres Home and River Oaks, like going, those are two drastically different areas. And, you know, just being able to experience, you know, growing up in one, going to school in the other, you know, you you don't see a lot of people that kind of roll in the, both of those type of circles. So trying to, you see both sides of the spectrum. So you see what you want to strive to be, you know, going to school in uh, River Oaks and things like that after, you know, all the struggles and stuff in, um, Acres home, so I can only imagine just kind of the dreams and uh, the way you know you, the goals that you, you, your grandmother kind of put forth for you to achieve and things like that. So, um, but when uh, so as a kid though, when you're you know 
like you said, you're going to school and kind of had these kind of ambitions. Like, what was kind of your dream job as a kid? Like, what, did you did you per so, se see as yourself a, as, as a kid? As a kid, my dream job um, outside of being a professional athlete uh, was to be a color commentator. Was to be you know, I used to grow up watching, you know, listen to Bill Worrell and Calvin Murphy call the Rockets game every night, you know, FSN, you know, or Fox Sports Network. And so at an early age, I wanted to be that sports personality on TV, you know, uh, breaking down the game, giving commentary, knowing, you know, being a statistician per se. You know, uh, I was a kid that was, you know, walking around middle school and elementary school and high school with a sports page in his back pocket. You know, so I was, that, that's what I wanted to be uh, at an early age. That was my kind of dream scenario, uh, per se. So you can kind of see where the foundation was laid when you're talking about you know, obviously what you're doing now, uh, just having a love and passion for it. Um, Can you talk about when you got to St. Pius and, you know, what type of success the sports program had there? And then uh, did you have any firsthand experience with recruiting uh, from from that perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always, like I said, I walked around with the sports page in my back pocket, so I was very familiar with the Grady Houston top 100 players in your area. And how these players were going to USC and going to Texas and going to Texas and then and furthering their education. That became a goal of mine. And when I see that, it was kind of something that I subconsciously saluted, something I was very interested in. And like, who are these people? And how good are they in sports to get, be able to go to USC and go to all these schools and whatnot? So when I went to St. Pius, I tasted what an actual culture was, a, a successful culture. I mean, I was a part of of three state championship teams. I mean, we won state in basketball when I was a junior. We won state uh, in football back-to-back in my junior and my senior year. We played in the state championship my freshman year. So it, it showed me all that it took to be a champion at an early age. And from a recruiting standpoint, it was something that I always followed. I always wanted to contribute to the team. And so I lived in Acres Home, and it was players that I knew that went to the feeder school, which is Klein Forest, that necessarily wasn't getting the spotlight, that would have been better utilized in a program that was structured and organized to a, a high standard like St. Pius was. Mm-hmm. So from a recruiting standpoint, yeah, I recruited players to, the, to St. Pius while I was in high school nice. and were key contributors on the St. Pius team that got scholarships in which they wouldn't have got that opportunity at, at, at Klein Ford. So yeah, I was responsible for a few recruits uh, to go to St. Pius that, you know, uh, the late Robin Kirk, who was my head coach in high school, you know, really depended on and, and clutch crucial uh, points of the game. And so that put a really big seed in me as far as roster management, developing a roster. Because during the same time that I went to, to St. Pius, I was playing NCAA the video game. And so I had been playing this video game on NCAA, you know, since 08, you know, when I could have Joey Harrington on the cover when he played at the Oregon Ducks. Mm-hmm. And so, like, on NCAA, you could build your own team. You could pick your university. Obviously, I picked the University of Texas. And it was a dynasty mode in which you built a program. You recruited the players. You, you built your roster. And all of it translated to wins and losses and rankings all on the video game. And so each year I was getting better and better at the video game, but at the same time applying it to real-life scenarios, applying it to 
it, it didn't ring a bell till maybe almost even a decade later than that than that time. And you know, maybe like six, five years later. And you know what's so funny is because I feel like. All of us have been in that scenario where we've all done the career modes on Madden, did the fantasy football deals, and just kind of, you know, creating our whole scenario and just like how to create a team and how to how we want to recruit people and this and that, like with the games and stuff like that, and how that actually can translate into a real life career for some people and things like that. Um, but just to transition back to, um, I know you said back when you was at U of H, you was kind of running with the wrong crowd and things like that. So just kind of give us a little insight into uh, your little career there, um, like going past that struggle, you know, going through academic probation and just kind of how you overcame that in your life. Yeah, so after the death of my grandmother, uh, I recently took a job as bartender. I bartended at the Papa Seafood House and waited at the Papa Seafood House uh, on uh, six. 610 South and 45 South at the Woolridge exit. And uh, it was a job that taught me financial responsibility. But at the same time, I've always been a people person. I've always had to give a gab. And so they put me in an environment where I could easily succeed. Um, so I worked at, at um, Papa Seafood House. Obviously, um, I worked at other restaurants as I continued to get... Uh, get uh, experience in the business and I wanted to work at upper echelon restaurants and stuff like that. Um, it became something that, uh, obviously I was talking about sports in the bar. You came to my bar and it's Monday night, Monday night football, we just talking about sports, we just talking about sports. Um, so I eventually uh, worked at a place called the Tasting Room in Easton. And I'm working in the bar and I'm sitting here talking sports and whatnot with a gentleman who I couldn't even tell you his name today. But I was telling him, you know, about recruiting and whatnot, and he was like, you know, maybe you should start to try to work for an organization or whatnot, you know. Tons of schools will want volunteers or whatnot. And during my bartending years, I got my associates from HCC. And I always was saying, once I got my associates, I would go back to U of H and finish. I would go back to U of H and finish. So when I got back to U of H, I was in my first semester classes back at U of H. I had my head on straight. I had my own apartment. I was taking care of myself. I was financially responsible. And I felt like I was mature enough to continue my college career. So I wasn't planning this time around. I actually, my last five semesters at U of H, I had like a 3.7, 3.5 GPA made the things list and all of that. Nice. But when I was in class one day, the professor was like, hey, you guys sitting in this room, y'all think y'all gonna get a degree and get a job. That's not the case. You have to find something that you're passionate about and get experience in that field before you graduate. Otherwise, you're going to be standing at the podium getting your degree, and you're not going to have any idea what you're going to be doing next. So as I said in class, I literally typed up uh, the most unprofessional email that I could have ever done and just sent it over to U of H's staff uh, because Coach Herman had just, you know, I always followed sports, so I knew Coach Herman had just won a national championship as an offense coordinator at Ohio State, he had just got hired at Houston. He probably doesn't have any staff. And he probably doesn't even have any staff that's coming with him that know the ins and outs of the University of Houston, which I happen to have known the ins and outs of the University of Houston, having been there so long. So I, I took a shot in the dark, wrote the email. I got a call that night from a guy named Adrian Mays who wrote my email. And, you know, he's like, when, when can you come in? I was like, I can come in tomorrow. So I came in tomorrow and I started talking to Adrian. Uh, and there's a guy named Dallas Blacklock. And I was basically telling him, like, hey, man, 
a recruiting guru. Like, you know, yeah, I'm an amateur, but I've been following it so long. You know, I know the ins and outs of the University of Houston. Like, I can help. I'll work for free. You know, I'm, I'll offer you my services for free. I just want to get in how I fit in. So that was my first opportunity to get the foot in the door. And that was just what my zeal had led me to. But I made a, a decision, well, well, I came to the realization that, hey, all I have to do is find one person in this office to vouch for me. Because I knew that college football and the coaching carousel was something that you never know where somebody could be up. So all I needed was one person to believe in Brian Carrington, to take them with Brian Carrington. So essentially, that was my main hope. And, you know, transferred five years later, and I'm sitting here as a director of recruitment at the University of Texas. It's not a coincidence, but it's definitely quite the quite the journey and it's all about networking and being at the right place at the right time and you know uh really grasping hold of an opportunity i'd like to go back to something you said um when you initially interviewed or talked with the director of recruiting for the university of houston you mentioned uh you being a guru and you know that's something that i heard firsthand as we uh you know, that's where we met and was working together as interns. Um, but you would operate in that in that arena. So w- when you think about you having the foresight to know or to proclaim that uh, which you desire to be, how important is that for someone who who is looking to get into this industry and, you know, carve out a niche or carve out their career? How important is it to kind of have that self-confidence and, and just kind of be confident in the stuff that you, you know, had done going up until that point? Yeah, uh, I would say I don't need anybody to motivate me. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody to believe in me because I believe in me. I'm my own motivation. And I want to be great. You know, I'm my hardest critic. I'm so hard on myself, but at the same time, I speak stuff into existence. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big advocate about speaking stuff in, in, into existence. I Literally, when I was in college, I looked at myself in the mirror and I told myself, hey, man, you're going to be successful. Today's the day. Today is the day. You know, uh, go be successful. You know, build connections. You're going to be the best recruiter in the game. And I had to tell myself this over and over and look at myself in, in the mirror and tell this to myself because nobody was telling me that, you know? But in my heart, I felt that I was going to, I, I had the potential to be the best recruiter in the country or be among that tier of individuals who could have that title. So that's what drove me every day is I'm a part of the University of Houston and I'm one player away from making a huge impact on that football field. I make a huge impact on that football field with the players that I can bring in you know, then I'm going to be a valuable asset at this university and it could catapult me to anywhere. I mean, coming out of college, my goal was to be a full-time staffer uh, or my goal, my long-term goal was to be a director of recruiting. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe at a middle Tennessee state, you know, maybe at a uh, Texas state, maybe at a, a, a small D1, not at the University of Texas. I couldn't have spoke that into existence. Right. But I stayed honest with myself and I continue to motivate myself. And it's, it's amazing the, the doors that open for you when you're being sincere, when something is truly your passion and nobody can stop your drive, your grind, 
know, your work ethic. You know, it's a, it's a self, um, it, it's all about what you believe in yourself. And that's, that, if you, yeah. No. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships. So you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sorry, uh, I, I was going to just say that. And that's so important. Just, you know, just having that self um, belief in yourself and just, you know, being able to like, you know, just saying how you just took a shot in the dark. It wasn't just, a, oh, I went here and I knew this person or things like that. You took a shot in the dark and you wrote that email and you know, you got a call back and then you was able to start your path from there. And I, I think that is so wholeheartedly where a lot of people just kind of keep to themselves or just kind of think they have to go through the proper channels or they have to know somebody or go to the regular job interviews to get that shot. But sometimes just opening your mouth, sending an email, talking to a person, you know, just that that helps you. That gets you in the door and then being able to lead towards your dreams and things like that. Um but, you know, just kind of, so when you were, I know you said, like, once you kind of got intertwined in the recruiting um, aspect of everything, so, like, you know, um, I know you had the belief in yourself, but what, like, where did you see, did you know right away that it was like, hey, this is this is the job for me, or if, you know, Mike, you're still trying to figure it out, or kind of, where did you think? Yeah, so I was, <laughs> I was trying to figure it out. One, it was very interesting and enjoyable just to show up at work you know, or for volunteers and it be around football. You know, I always like to talk about football. I'm always about watching and evaluating talent. So that part was very rewarding for me. But I didn't realize that this should be a career path until I became validated by the staff that was there from the task that I was doing. Because I didn't know that the task that I was doing was that valuable Mm -hmm. until it was pointed to me how valuable it was for a kid to show up and say, hey, man, where's Brian at? You know, I want to go hang out with Brian. You know, and so it was that first, hey, man, good job. So-and-so came up here and told the head coach he was looking for you. You know, great job. And I was like, man, that's all I got to do? All I got to do is get the kids to come up here and look for me and say my name? You know, something like that. And so it became from me coming in and wanting to assist the coaches to being somebody that could potentially close the deal. Mm-hmm. And that is a, is a huge difference between what most people that work in the recruiting department, that's something that's unique to what I can do versus what a normal person in a recruiting department does. People in recruiting departments aren't kind of leaned on to close deals, essentially. Right. And I, and I, I just want to, you know, point out when you talking about getting the opportunity that you didn't just walk into that department and was calling shots, right? So for for, for a young guy who's kind of following this, kind of give just a little bit of kind of where you had to where you had to kind of start from to work your way up into a position to be able to uh, interact and, and coaches ask your advice on things. Yeah, so coming into it, I realized that it had to be a two-year commitment of not getting anybody whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I worked at U of H for two years 
returning just a gradual decision to deal Texas for two years and didn't get a dime. You know, um, I realized that a lot of people in college football had to do their two years of servitude and, uh, going in for free. So when I first started at Houston, man, I was doing stuff that nobody wanted to do. I was going to get coaches laundry. I was going to get coaches coffee. I was folding up the mailers to send out to the kids, you know, looking at envelopes and stuff. You know, I'm standing outside the stadium uh, registering kids in the first quarter, and you hear fireworks in the stadium. You know, I'm, I'm itching trying to get to the game, but I'm not doing what, what the stuff that the tedious, monotonous task that somebody has to do. That's what I had to do. And so, like, just getting people in the building to know your name, that's a goal that you should set for yourself when you get in. But it takes some time for people to understand who you are. And don't go into a place being high maintenance. You got to be low maintenance. You don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. You don't have an opinion. You know, you got to be the low man on the totem pole. So you got to be extremely low maintenance. You got to do the stuff that nobody wants to do. You got to stay out the way. You know, I wasn't traveling to the games. I wasn't getting tickets to the games. None of that. So I had to do the task that nobody wanted to do for a period of time, you know, but slowly but surely, um, when you put in the work, you'll slowly but surely be elevated. Now, you just can't come in and be a regular dude or be a regular person and think just because you're completing tasks efficiently that you need some type of validation and and, uh, gratitude. You have to go beyond the call of duty to be noticed. So you can't be a paper a paper pusher, you know, with no creativity, with nothing else that you bring to the table because anybody can come in and work at an hour, hourly rate and do administrative tasks. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, so with that, from going from U of H, like what, what kind of helped you? What led you to your current gig at UT? Like, how did you um, transition into the UT? Yeah, so um, over time. Um, I just was given a much bigger role. I would say not a, a bigger role on paper, but just a bigger role by mouth and what people thought of me um, in that building. Uh, people trusted me to be the, the, the top liaison on campus when a kid needed to see the dorms and, and go on a campus tour and talk to him through the history of the University of Houston and take him through the Hall of Fame. It was me. It was, I was the person that they wanted the kids to be around. I was the person on the official visit that they wanted to pick up from the airport, drop off to the airport, sit next to them at dinner, get with them at the social, you know, and, you know, my job in, in my mind was to become uh, like an assist man, become somebody that the coaches would lean on to keep the, the, the core group of recruits happy and pleased while they were focused on uh, winning football games and other tasks, especially when the season Mm-hmm. You know, just just being able to to get those recruits close and get them to bond and uh, befriend one another was something that kind of elevated myself in the eyes of the coaches that I could be dependable. And I was aiding them in their recruitment and building relationships with kids. I was gathering information and saying, hey, coach, why don't you hit them with this? Or, hey, coach, did you know this about so-and-so? And it was it was, it was very valuable. and when they got the, the, the 
noticed that Coach Herman was not going to be at Houston much longer. You know, I was I was approached and was asked would I relocate. Absolutely, I would relocate. I didn't think it would be the University of Texas. So when it became the University of Texas, it was it was a very surreal moment. You know, I always wanted to. You know, I'm back in that dynasty mode. Like, man, I used to pick Texas on dynasty mode on the video game. Now I'm going to work in Texas. Now I'm one player away from recruiting in Texas. At Houston, you talk about a group of five school. You recruit mostly three-star talent. Uh, occasionally, you can get four-star talent. And every once in a while, you may be able to get a five-star talent at the University of Houston. But from going from the University of Houston to Texas, it was like a dream come true for me, essentially because... All the big fish that I can recruit, that I can watch and evaluate, all I got to do is get them to pick Texas. And so it became like, hey, man, welcome to the big show now. Like, now you can, you're not competing against SMU and Tulane for kids. You competing against Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, USC. And so we first got to Texas. You know, obviously you're in a transition year. You're not proven. And, you know, successfully, I was able to help recruit the number three recruiting class in the country uh, at the University of Texas to the point to where the coaching staff and um, Tom Herman decided to give me the title director of recruiting. Uh-huh. You know, so, uh, and then the, another year we signed a number three recruiting class again. So we recruited back-to-back top three recruiting classes and that's something that, that Matt Brown didn't even achieve. Wow. So you gotta understand that from my perspective, like, you know, what's what's next? Like, one, I didn't think I'd be at the University of Texas. Two, I'm at the University of Texas, and according to recruiting rankings, we're out recruiting Matt Brown, somebody that, you know, that I looked up to when I idolized this university as a, as a young teenager, you know? So it's, it's, it's sometimes you definitely got to teach yourself. That, 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 that. Uh, that's just cool to just like even just like you know people sometimes people don't understand is like you're you're the face you're the first face that you know a kid comes in and is like you were Texas to them they just like oh this person from University of Texas you come and see them and like that that, that you know just having that mindset and you know you know it was kind of similar um when with my time with the Texans you know you pick up a, a player a free agent you know that's their first impression of. The Texans in Texas and there's things like that where, you know, it's just so vital that how, you know, kind of how those people perceive you is kind of how they perceive the whole organization that which is so cool with that. But so what are some of the what are some of the biggest misconceptions about recruitment? So the misconceptions of recruiting, I would say, is recruiting is is fake for the most part. And I say that because recruiting comes down to two things. Somebody's going to sell you on something or somebody's going to put you in position to empower yourself. The misconception is it's very hard for the 18-year-old mind to make the proper decision. Correct. Because some kids will fall for being sold versus being in a position of being empowered. And I would, you know, look at recruiting when it comes to our job is to recruit the top talent in the country. So it is a little bit of sales and it is a little bit of marketing. But sales are always good when you're selling the best product. And so I got that University of Texas logo on my chest. I can sell kids the, the platform. You know, every school got football and an education. But a lot of schools don't have a platform. 
And so by kids choosing to go to the University of Texas in Austin, you're talking about an unbelievable, unique platform for these kids to not necessarily achieve their professional goals, but to become self-sufficient men in society. And I believe that that is the, the most valuable thing that these kids are trying to accomplish. You got 13,000 Division One athletes on scholarship. You know, how many of them would be further in their education and get a degree if it wasn't for the game of football, if it wasn't for the game of uh, basketball? So I believe in the, in the bigger picture, kids choosing the platform and being in a position to be empowered by whatever university of choice should be a, a, a critical deciding factor in their recruitment. You know, look out for yourself when you're 24, when you're 26, when you're 28, when you're 30, and you need to make something shake. Don't look out for the 19-year-old version of yourself that's going to be upset by sitting on the sideline. The 21-year-old version is going to be upset because a freshman or a sophomore is playing over you. You know, that's, a, that's from an emotional aspect, not from a logical aspect. The logical aspect for me, is going to say that at some point that football is going to go flat. And what else would I have to show for myself? So, yeah, I would say the misconception about recruiting is people don't treat it like it's a, a really a business decision and looking out for the 25-year-old version of themselves. You know, a lot of their decision-making is, is based on the 19, 20-year-old version of themselves. Yeah, and you're absolutely correct because... Working in the NFL, I have I seen I, I saw firsthand where guys who had put their all their hopes and dreams of making it to the NFL, and even if it don't work out, they make it there, but it don't work out. They are at a loss now. So uh, you you hit it right on the head, like because my approach is to to treat it as a business. Uh, you know, starting from the high school process and the recruiting, because uh, you know it's it's a business. You know, people are, are are making a living from this game. So you shouldn't be as a recruit going in it for emotions or you know from a perspective of you know. This is this is this is what's cool to do, but from a business perspective, because you got to think about, like you said, twenty four, twenty five. What does that look like for me if this game doesn't work out? So in, in today's society, with social media being so popular and a lot of guys putting so much into the likes or the the comments and 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 the followers on Instagram or, or sort of, what what is it that? What are the, the characteristics that you're running into as guys are being recruited and in this process of, of again, being driven by a social media environment? Uh, I would say the social media aspect uh, can change a kid. Um, it's a lot of kids that get offered as freshmen and, and sophomores and, you know, in some cases, eighth graders. And, it, you know, me having a, a psychology background, uh, it definitely has to do something to the psyche of a kid that's being validated for what they can do on a football field. Mm -hmm. And so it's important because social media gives them a platform to receive validation. A kid can have off from Texas and have off from Texas A&M and post a tweet in school and say, you know, hook him or give him. And then, you know, he's distracted by all the comments about that tweet. Exactly. But, you know, the, the key emphasis and why I, I like being in this field is because I want kids to understand to not associate their identity to something that's going to be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And I say that because you're not a football player. I say it all the time, bro. 
to all of our all of our kids. I said in front of their, their mommies and daddies, like your son is not a football player. Football is his platform. He has to understand how to utilize this platform in the next three to five years to be a self-sufficient man. You know, and here are the tools and resources that we're going to give him at the University of Texas. But the kid that associates his identity to something that's going to be taken away from him because he's been scoring touchdowns since Little League, mm-hmm. what's going to happen in college when he get adversity and understand there's 84 other kids on scholarship? Mm-hmm. There's 84 other kids that were star players in high school. And it's detrimental to some of these kids that, you know, attach their identity to the success on the football field because when the success start, stop, they don't know who they are. You know, so Absolutely. never attach, I, I want the kids to not to attach their identity to something that's going to be taken away from. Man, you're absolutely you know, correct. That's 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 huge, and I think that's a key point for people to be able to be aware of because you got to start to to do that that self work and understand that your value does not reside in who you are on the field or what others other people say you are. So I, I'll close with this, man. What what is your ultimate goal? You know, what type of impact are you really trying to have um, in this career of recruiting? Uh, I mean, I don't know where my uh, career will take me or whether it will take me out of college sports or whatever it may be. Um, But uh, I do feel like I want to um, change the game of recruiting. Um, I feel that I'm a unicorn right now um, within college football because I feel like I can't be cloned or replicated at this point. Um, And I wonder if the NCAA will pass legislation for somebody like myself to be able to go on the road, to be able to walk in people's high school, to be able to build those connections with counselors, with teachers, with coaches, with principals, Mm -hmm. uh, and and sit in living rooms um, and close deals and be able to sell the university not from a position coach standpoint, but from somebody giving a holistic um, presentation of our pro- of our program, the ins and outs. You know, I'm somebody that's going to be a big brother essentially to these kids that use Texas. So, to the parents, I'm somebody that's their eyes and their ears while their son is growing up to become a man. You know, I'm, I'm at an age to where they respect me. But I'm at age to where they will come to me and ask me for my advice as well. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm, I want to continue to change the game. I feel like if the NCA enabled people in my roles across the country, uh, that it would be very beneficial uh, to the college football game. Absolutely. Um, I mean, just the just the value and the the impact that that will have, and on the coaches who can focus now, you know, mainly on coaching, you know, game plan. When they have somebody like you, they can trust that you can go into a home and close the deal, man. Yeah, instead of a position coach talking to you about the student life, yeah, and the academic plan and the networking aspect and life after football and all of this other stuff. Why not somebody you know in in a role as the director of recruiting, be able to lay out the X's and O's and the stuff that um, really matters outside of the game, you know? Absolutely, man. So I appreciate that, man. I thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us on What's the Hype, man. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season and good luck on recruiting this season. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.